we say as Christians that have meaning to us, but uh, I'm not really sure we we have a, even an entry point of grasping what God really means by them. And every Resurrection Sunday, we talk about the power of the resurrection. We talk about the Lord being risen. And we say those things, and on, on, even on surface, it's miraculous. I mean, it's, it's just a phenomenal thing that God himself would come to earth live as a as a human and um, give himself as a as a ransom dying a cruel merciless death on a cross and then rising again from the dead and then ascending into heaven that the surface story of itself is profound i mean it is incredible just just to think of that and to believe is um, is the entry point into having eternal life with God, and we're forever grateful for that. But one of the things that God, in His Spirit, has graciously and lovingly attempted to do for us is to, as we've prayed and as we pledge ourselves to serve Him throughout the world and as intercessors throughout the heavens, He's, his Spirit has guided us into understandings of the Scriptures that are beyond what we as human beings would be able to deduce on our own. And we're so grateful for that, aren't we? Very, very grateful for that. So as I, I was praying about what the Lord wanted us to share today, a couple of times in the middle of the night um, these past few days, He's awakened me and was speaking to me about resurrection. And he started to just almost like you would explain to a little child, which I guess <laughs> it would be infinitesimally more of a gap when you think of God Almighty speaking to me. But he just began to speak to me and pointing out things. And, and as is so often the case, when God teaches in the Scripture, when angels speak to people in the Scripture, or even today, so often the way they teach us is by asking us questions or drawing from things that have already been hidden in our heart by the Lord or, or, or drawing from places from deep within our spirit that God put there from the foundation of the world. And so God was just asking me things pointing out things to try to get me to come to a spirit-led deduction on my own. But, of course, you recognize that it's him there and him saying, I want you to see this. And he started to talk to me the first night about the various ways that being raised from the dead are communicated in the Scripture. And we do realize that Jesus was not the only one who was dead and came to life again. We know that. And um, so I started to think about that, and I, I just from things that I've studied in the past came up with just the three major terms. Uh, the first one is in the Greek. You can look these up for yourself. Agero, which means to stir yourself and to get moving. 
Second is anastemme, which we're going to just talk about briefly here. But the third one is anastasis. And the last two are connected in really powerful ways. And the reason we're looking at this is not from a theoretical standpoint, but from the, the, the point of gaining an understanding that unlocks a point of power and faith in us as we go forward. You'll see what I mean by that. Um, so the scriptures that I've listed here on page one, I didn't, I didn't really mess with Agero much. You can look that up for yourself. But these, these verses here are, speak about anastemi on the first page. And we contrast that with anastasis because stasis comes from histeme. So if you're functioning in the verb of histeme, then you, you would eventually arrive at a stasis point of function. Now, why that's important is the cross of Christ, remember, is described as a stake of ownership for the histeme. That's what the cross is made from, stau and histeme. And we've talked about that. When the Father calls us to take up our cross and go where he goes, where he says for us to go, we establish that cross, which is a stake of ownership, and by that we identify that we're representing the one who has paid the price for all of the spiritual, all of the natural, all of the, uh, all the functionality of that area, because that's what his stemmies are. I mean, I, I go to uh, visit a certain area of the country, and I know that the histamines are going to be there, and so I try to take something to block those. I should be just a man of faith and say, thus says me, this will not affect, but, you know, I, I haven't crossed that, that mountain of overcoming yet. But if you block an estemi, that means whatever's there in that power uh, in that area, whether it's through pollen or, or other types of, of natural influences, you, you know, it, it's going to affect me, so you want to block that. But when we go into nations by the directive of the Lord and we establish the cross, we say that Jesus has paid the price for every influence here, every spiritual influence. And that's the function of that verb would mean that it is an active participation with God. Sometimes it's a battle. Sometimes it's a contesting. Very often the enemy does not want you to, um, to do, well, he never wants you to do that. And he will try every way he can to get you to sidestep your faith and belief of what's really going on there. But when we read about anastemi, um, you can just see some of these verses. There are many others, like, in Mark 1, 35, when Jesus would get up early in the morning, he would rise, this is anastemi, and he'd go off to a place by himself, a remote place. And uh, some of you, if you really need the power of the resurrection, it's early in the morning when God asks you to pray. And Jesus didn't need to be stimulated by the Spirit. He had a hunger for the Lord God Almighty, and he went on his own. But you used anastemi there. When Levi was asked to... Uh, he was in the receipt of the, the customs, and the Lord said, follow me. I had to throw Levi in there. Um, he arose, anastemi, and he entered into the function of what he was supposed to be doing. Just as Jesus, when he anastemied and went to prayer, he entered into the function in the high place of what he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to be doing. 
So he was actively engaging to what the estemi within him was and what his calling from God is and what God is asking him to do in a place or in a point of ministry. Um, when Jesus in Mark 10 was traveling, there was a blind man who was calling out, have mercy on me, and they were telling him to be quiet. And Jesus stopped and said, come to me. And the man casting away his garment, anesteme, came to Jesus. That moment itself was anesteme. That moment itself was a God-ordained time frame for a miracle to be done and for that man to be touched. And so this man rose up into it. It's very interesting because if you look at the derivations of Anna, uh, just from what our study of Hebrew is, we know that that means grace. And if you look very carefully, you'll find that the lexicons will even direct you that this stems from the Hebrew hana, or you put a little luster in it, hana. And, um, but if you, if you think about what Strong's will say, it just means with or surrounding, but the essence is not just to be with or to surround, but to take something forward, to take something, why is that there? What is God wanting to do? And so that's the essence of Anna. Uh, look what Jesus said in Mark 3. If Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but has an end. And in that, we see not just that he was rebuking those who said that he was a servant of Beelzebub and he was casting out demons from that influence, but Jesus was saying that even when Satan moves, he draws from the histeme, he draws from those influence, just like, just like um, uh, Simon the sorcerer did, and, um, uh, and he, would, he would mobilize to fight. And, and so that even, it's really strange that Jesus would use anesteme with Satan, but it speaks about the operation of the spirit realm. These next three speak prophetically about after Jesus is crucified, that he will come back into the histemi and be seen by everybody. And they use, in every one of these, anesteme. And that's a very interesting thing. The last one, of course, I toss this in for those of you who look for this every moment. First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 regarding the catching away. The dead in Christ will rise first. Okay, now all that being said, just so that you can see what anesteme is. What about the power of the resurrection? What about the power of anastasis? Remember that histemi makes the way for stasis. Stasis is to establish something lasting according to a foundational plan. Sometimes it was used in ancient Greek to talk about a structure, a great, a great uh, theater or a great temple or a statue, a colonnades, something that was established that they hoped would stand forever and they would use that. Now, medically, you find that if somebody's in stasis, that means they're probably not in good shape because things are stopped. Things are, are really hindered, and uh, they, they call for help to get things that could lead somebody into death to move into a point of uh, restoration of some sort. But um, I think it's interesting that the original idea was in God, and this is still his idea, that there's something he has ordained from the foundation of the world. 
there's something that he has put in place, and he wants you to recognize that that's the most important thing you will ever know throughout eternity. And you need to keep your eyes on that stasis, what God has established. The challenge is that um, throughout the Old Testament, the people really didn't want that. Uh, you find that one of the big arguments in Jesus' day was between the Sadducees and the Ther Pharisees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in God. They didn't, it, that he was functioning today. They didn't believe that there was a life after death. And my old Welsh pastor used to say that that kind of viewpoint made them sad, you see. And, um, but, but the point is, is that they were just kind of lifeless. The Pharisees believed in this structure of life forever, that there was a heaven, that there were angels, but they just didn't, they didn't think that it would happen in them. And so they, they said they believed it, but they didn't really believe it. You remember the time that Paul was, um, the apostle was um, arrested and he was brought before a, uh, a local magistrate and the, uh, all these people were there. The Jews thought that the Jewish people at the time who didn't like Paul thought that they had him. And uh, so Paul deduced that there were Sadducees and there were Pharisees there. And he thought, okay. And he says, I am here because as a Pharisee, I believe in the, uh, the resurrection of the dead. And all of a sudden, then, all the Pharisees stood on his side. And the Sadducees, they started arguing with each other. You talk about cancel culture. I mean, <laughs> something we may be in a position where we're standing and you've got people lined up on either side and the Spirit will say, say this in the Spirit, these people who agree with you. Let them fight amongst each other and you'll get sprung. But the point, though, is it was this argument about whether there is heaven, whether there is angelic interaction, whether there is something through eternity, that same thing that God wanted to communicate through Moses when he had the elders gather there at the foot of the mountain and God came down, God himself, and they were eating with God. Elohim was there, and uh, Moses went up on the mountain. When Moses comes back down, those people said, yeah, we don't really want to have anything to do with this uh, you know, we're kind of scared, so why don't you just meet with Elohim, and, and when you come down, if you're too shiny, put a veil over your face. That'll be fine with me. We got a lot of that today in the church, don't we? You talk about angels. You talk about praying at the throne. You talk about being caught away into heavenly places, which the Scripture speaks of numerous times. Some of those folks that hear you think, man, this guy's three sheets to the wind. You know, he's nuts. This is cultic. This is new age or whatever kind of wackiness you can deduce it to be. And they just don't want to have anything to do with it. So there's still a lot of this business of, you know, we don't really, we talk about Resurrection Sunday, but we don't really believe what the resurrection is, what it really means. And so when, when, we talk about anastasis. That's what it is. And the histemes serve whatever God at his throne has said. And whatever God has put in motion, we take the cross, which Jesus paid for the histemes on the cross. Um, we take it there and we say, let the kingdom come here. Let the will of God be done here. Let that verb, histemi, be active here for the glory of the Lord for the purpose of establishing 
what God's kingdom in heaven is. Let the resurrection be here. Let us rise up in the power of the Spirit, but let us welcome the power of the resurrection here. That's what God says. That's what the Word says. So let's look at a couple of verses about anastasis, and let's talk about this pretty well. I'm moving, believe it or not, kind of rapidly because I recognize this is a holiday, and I'm going to try to get you out of here earlier. So just pray that that miracle will occur. John 11, verses 21 through 26. Now, this is the tomb of Lazarus. You remember the backstory. People are texting Jesus and telling him, hey, you better get over here. Uh, your buddy Lazarus, is, he's keeling over. He's not long for this world. Hurry up. Well, Jesus didn't respond. So they start WhatsApping, and they're talking to Peter and John, and they're saying, hey, I don't know what the Lord's doing. He may have left his phone somewhere up in the mountains. Would you tell him to get over here? And Jesus purposely is waiting until Lazarus is dead. You know this story. I don't need to recount this. But when he gets there, Martha, Lazarus' sister, says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, whatever you ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said unto her, your brother shall rise again. In other words, your brother is going to come back into this systemic. He's got a purpose to serve, a very notable purpose to serve in the days leading up to the cross because his presence is going to be used as a glorious praise to the Father, but it's also going to stir up the opposition and bring things to a head. Now, he didn't say all that, but that's what happened. He is going to be active in the esteme, and he's going to be a force of grace in this esteme. That's what that word means. But Martha says, I know that he will rise again, and esteme, in the resurrection at the last day. So here she's saying, well, yeah, I've heard you teach about heaven. I've heard you teach about the Father. Now, she was there. She, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, they were, they were really like Jesus' second family. So she had heard these teachings for those three years that he had been walking the earth. So she knew that he was talking about heaven. She knew that he was talking about what the throne wanted. And she says, well, you know what? I know that he's going to come to life again when we get to that point. So those two words are used there back to back. But Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection. I am the anastasis and the life that comes from it. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? But here Jesus, before the cross, says, I am the resurrection. Really, what was he saying? He would not died and risen again yet. Some would say, well, he's prophesying that. He's declaring it in, so bless God, it's got to be. Well, you know what? Even though that is true, Jesus was saying something other than that. He was saying that the reason I came here, and he said this in a lot of other, a lot of other ways, is to establish the kingdom of my Father, to restore what God desired from the foundation of the world, to cause that interaction between earth and heaven. This is the way I taught my disciples to pray. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I have come for this, and 
regardless of whether the Pharisees and the Sadducees argue about this, enough arguing. I am the anastasis. I am the one who's come to restore what God has ordained. Yes, you're going to function in the estemi. You're going to go throughout all the world and preach the gospel of the kingdom. What kingdom? His kingdom in heaven. You're going to preach that, and when God sees that it is done to his satisfaction, then will the end come. But all the things that we've studied about regarding his stemmies and the power of the cross and all the ways we've researched that in the Scripture is basically for the purpose of welcoming the kingdom so that what God had ordained from the very foundation will be established. You know what? What's that sound like? Tabernacle temple, doesn't it? It sounds exactly like going forth in the tabernacle of David to establish the indwelling presence of that temple reality. But here it is in a functional way for each of our lives. And so he says this to her. So it, with that understanding, maybe that might explain a little bit more about why Jesus waited, why he came. Three days, Lazarus is in the tomb. They're telling him he stinks. You got the professional mourners over here having a, a conniption fit. And, you know, you see all this going on. But Jesus says, look, it's really not about this life. I can do anything here. It's about my mission. I am the anastasis. I am the resurrection through which the fullness of the life of God will come. And that's what we celebrate today. Let's, let's look at what the Apostle Paul said when he was speaking to, and in fact, I think this was one of those times where he was before an earthly ruler and he was giving his account. The people wanted to kill him. But in that story, in Acts 26, 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first protos, that should anastasis. Now, you're going to, I referenced Revelation 20, verses 5 through 6. You can read about this for yourself later. But people often get all wound up about what the first resurrection is and, you know, the power of death for a thousand years. You know, people won't be subject. But here Paul says the same phrase, Acts 26, the protos. That, that initiation, that going forward through the anastasis. He uses the same terms, and that, that, that he should be the first that should rise from the dead and should show light into the people and to the Gentiles. Now think about this. If you just read this on surface, it sounds like Paul is either short-sighted, lying, or just hasn't been keeping up with current events because he knew that Lazarus had risen from the dead. He knew that probably that Peter had, through the power of the Spirit, raised a young girl from the dead. He knew that Jesus had raised a young girl from the dead. He knew that Jesus had touched the, the funeral bier of the woman widow of Nain, and her son came back to life. He knew that Elijah had been raised, uh, or Elisha had been raised from the dead. So he knew, if, if you're just reading this and said, well, Jesus is the first one raised from the dead, that's wrong, right? But if you look at it the way it originally says, the one who initiated the, the willingness of God's heart to bring his kingdom here and be established, Jesus is the one who did that. All these other people may have risen from the dead, but Jesus is the only one who moved in this type of a resurrection. And because of this, we can also 
glean the power of that victory. Let's look at another passage, 1 Peter. Now, Peter was a very simple man, not sinful man, very simple man. He, he, he acted on what he believed, sometimes for not good results, but he just didn't mess around. He did what he felt he should do. And that's, you always need people like that. You need somebody to, sometimes you got to rein them in a little bit, but you need somebody to be the, the stalking horse that gets things going. Here in 1 Peter 1, he basically talks about this. He gives his opinion as to what the resurrection is. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered uh, throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again into a lively hope by the resurrection, anastasis of Jesus Christ from the dead. A lively hope by the resurrection. Wow. All of these things, all these points that Peter spoke about, uh, the sanctification of the Spirit, sprinkling the blood, we've talked about them and will continue to, to feast on what God would reveal regarding that. But here he speaks about hope being alive and bringing life because of the resurrection, because of this anastasis. So in other words, because we realize that in this life only we don't have hope, we have a home in heaven. We have this structure that Jesus has risen to the right hand of the Father to empower for us so that we could serve the Father. Because we know that is there, because of the resurrection, the hope within us, that seed of faith that God in, in, installs within us, we receive from Him in that secret place of prayer, that place where we believe God, we receive the burden, that hope. We, we, we let that be alive, and we let that bring life. Why? Because we know it's all settled in heaven. The resurrection has done that. And, and I think that's great. I mean, if the, if the enemy has tried to do one thing over these past few years, it's to cause hope to die within you. And he's probably tried to cause you to cast a glance around at circumstances and think, well, what good has it done for me to be praying? You know, we believe for this, and it looks like things have gone sideways or downhill in so many areas. And you talk about a stasis, things that have been stopped, I mean, these past couple of years have stopped a lot of the mobilization. We stayed busy, but the actual going boots on the ground, meeting with pastors, meeting with groups, that had been stopped. And, and you think, Lord, we've lost momentum. I don't know what you feel when you pray, but God has to sidestep a lot of these wacky thoughts I have. I try to counsel him. You ever do that? I know I shouldn't. And I know I have no right to do it, and I know my thoughts have, my ways are not God's ways. Hopefully, God's ways will become my ways. But I think, what is this stasis? What is this? And it goes back to the, that, that what we were talking about, the solemn assembly, where things seem to be stopped. At that point, we need to press forward into grace. 
and say, we're going to move into what God has said, no matter what it looks like, no matter what the stopping point is. But when, P- when Peter says here that because of that Anastasia, I have, I have this lively hope. When I go to prayer, when I spend time before the Father, what he's stirring within the depths of my spirit is alive, and I know that it will bring life regardless of the way things seem to be stagnant regardless of the way the promise seems to be restricted or held back. There will be a breakthrough. Why? Because of the I am. Because of that resurrection, that anastasis. And even, see, think about this. No matter how glorious it is to be able to go from place to place and see God work miracles and see the stirring of the, of the deposits of the glory and see people delivered and set free, on that, and no matter how glorious that is, that on its own doesn't accomplish much past right now. Think about it. Jesus could be working a miracle in the middle of a synagogue. A guy's shriveled hand and arm will grow back out and be there. And two seconds later, there are knuckleheads in the back saying, we got to kill this guy. You're only as good as your last box score. So even if you're working in a miracle walk, if you don't look at the Anastasia, if you don't look to what God has established in heaven and what he wants to bring to earth, you're missing the point. So that lively hope speaks of what's God saying. What, what miracle is he wanting me to intercede about? What, what, what has he opened the eye of faith for me to behold? Him saying, will you believe me for this as Abraham did? Look to the stars. Can you believe? Yes, I believe. Well, that makes you my friend, and that's the birth of righteousness. This lively hope was made possible for us because of the resurrection, this Anastasia. But let's look what else Peter says. Verse 4, what is there in this Anastasia? To an inheritance, and it's three things, incorruptible. That means that does not wither away. Your, your heavenly 401K is not dependent on what Putin does, and certainly not what Biden does. It's not going to diminish. And that's what that word means. What else does it say? It's undefiled. It does not become impure or spoiled. And, you know, sometimes things that we think are treasures, over the years we recognize, well, that really wasn't that much of a treasure anyway. I don't know what I was thinking when I collected these things. I thought I'd finance the end-time harvest with them, and they're worth nothing now. (laughs) Do you ever have anything like that? Oh, well, maybe I'm the only one. Pray for me. And that fades not away, that, that there's no illusion. It's not a mirage. So those three things are inheritance. And where is it? It's reserved in heaven. There's a terio in heaven, in heaven for you. You have place there. You have a standing point there. You could call it your seats. You can call it... Your mansion over the hilltop, which is crazy thought. It sound, sings good, but it's really kind of goofy. Um, uh, but, but the point is that, that Peter's saying because Jesus made this incredible transaction of all transactions, heaven is real. 
The angelic is real. The throne of God is real. I can go there and I can invest myself as a humble servant of prayer. And, and I have a home there. I, I, have, I have an estate there in God to serve Him, to be with Him, to know Him. And um, it's, it's not going to diminish. It's not going to lose in the market. It's, it's not going to be polluted in any way. It's just as vibrant now as it was when I first saw that glimmer in his heart. And it's, it's not an illusion. I'm not deceiving myself. I love that Peter says this. And so we're kept a watchman by the power, the dunamis, the function of God through faith unto salvation that is going to be revealed in the last time. <laughs> How many of you believe we're in the last time? I do, and um, it's not that generational thing where every generation thinks they're in the last time. Listen, we're at it. I, I was stunned, I don't know why, when I saw an article about this company over in uh, Northern Europe that has perfected a chip that they put kind of between your thumb and your finger right there. They embed it right under the skin, and you can make all your purchases through it. Uh, it, it's got your financial stuff uh, all registered there. So you don't have to have Apple Pay. You've got hand pay. You just flash your hand under there. And they said they are working diligently now to destroy the, the problems of identity theft because they think they're just a, a couple of extrapolations forward to where everything about you, from your health care uh, to, to your uh, identity through all the other things that make who you are can also be right there as well. And uh, it'll probably originate in India where they can put it right here, right where that red dot usually is. But who knows? I don't know. But we're, we're there. It's not some fantasy off, oh, how in the world are we going to do that? I just don't know about that mark. Well, here it is. It may not have 666 in the number, but it's there. So I do believe we are in the last days. And if we're not quite there yet, it'll do till it gets here. I mean, we're, we're there. And there are ways that God is revealing his eternal apocalypto. There are ways that God is unfolding those pages and saying, okay, it's all coming to a head now. And so we, how are we watching over ourselves and, and really, that's a term for a watchman, somebody in a tower. You can say that the dunamis function of God is watching over you. I believe that's true. But I think it's also reciprocal. The way you stay safe is by functioning. The way you stay safe in the Lord is by staying close to Him. The way you stay safe is to overcome by walking with Him. What destroyed Saul, King Saul? when he stopped offering supplication before God, and then he just went in a tailspin. The, the demonic forces that he should have been overcoming overcame him, and he had to rely on David with his minstrel capabilities to seek God and rejuvenate the atmosphere and to drive off the enemy forces. So if we're looking for the dunamis function of God, and, and, and that comes when we're believing for it to be manifested, and we're living in it ourselves. that function of what God wants, that in itself is the greatest stronghold. It's peace through strength. It's Teddy Roosevelt, speak softly, carry a big stick. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, Reagan said things like that in the days of Gorbachev. You know, he said, 
you know, we're going to have a very strong nuclear determinant, whatever you believe regarding that one way or another. But it, it, we're, we're going to say, <laughs> you better toe the line. And, and the, the reason we're saying it is we're stronger than you. Dunamis watches over. Functioning with God watches over. And then Peter goes on and he, he counsels the people about, um, you know, now for a season you may be in heaviness through temptations. Your faith is being tried. And he really counsels them, but he sets it up by talking about the power of the resurrection. This Anastasia that Jesus came to earth to do. You think about that. Just go back just one more time, and we're almost going to the last page. I'm almost done. Here, there, there they are, the most famous of all besides Jesus, uh, risings from the dead. And Jesus just sets it up. I mean, he just sets it up. Everybody has just got their own opinions about where he's been, what he could do, what he couldn't do. You got all the forces there, all of them, the doubters, the religious noodle heads. You, you've got people that were close to him thinking he let them down. You know, you've got people questioning the timing of the Lord. It's all there. And he talks about anastemi, and he talks about anastasis. And here he says, I am this. This is why I've come. Yeah, I can raise this guy to life, but the most important thing for you to know is that I'm doing it to demonstrate what's coming. I think that's great. And that's the day we celebrate. So on page three, we talk about three ways that the power, the dunamis of God will watch over this pathway. And they're all linked with the resurrection. Romans 1, verse 4. Jesus declared to be the Son of God with dunamis, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection, anastasis, from the dead. So here you find an empowerment of the spirit of holiness to move with us, to move through us, to guide us. And you also have this declaration of what it means to be a son of God, which we are called to be. Now you are the sons of God. We are to be that before our Father because of Jesus and because Jesus paid the price of, of resurrection, anastasis, so that we could function in the heavens, so that we could function according to God's plan. Yeah, we have the power of the cross. Thank God for it as we're moving around the earth. But the objective for whatever we do with that is the establishment of the kingdom, which Jesus assured when he died and rose again. I love that. <laughs> That's probably the, the only reason why on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit was poured out because that is also aligned right there with this resurrection price. Great power and great grace. Acts 4.33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the anastasis of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I think that's marvelous. And the only thing I want to mention about this, since we've already tried to speak about the meanings of all these things, is that magus is attached to the dunamis and magus is attached to the grace, which is for the spreading which is for the going forth. It's the greater works shall you do, the magus works. And so the church was moving in grace. It was moving in dunamis. Why? Because of the anastasis. Now, let's just stop here. Like I said at the very beginning, 
the story itself of the Son of God coming, dying, giving himself on the cross because he loves us for our sins so that we might be born again. And then he rose from the grave and he ascended. That is glorious in itself. But really, that testimony, as it were, that telling was not really the, it was it was it was the essence of it it was the part of, it was it was told but it was the power of the anastasis that Jesus set these things in motion that Jesus in ascending there at the right hand of the father gave access and meaning to it all it wasn't just them saying hey have you heard about Jesus let, here let me give you this tract read about this even though that's an entry point that is still an entry point it's what you do after you enter in that makes the most difference. And the power we draw from the understanding of that place at the throne is, is what really is going to spread the gospel. It's a sense of meaning. Otherwise, you're just running from town to town having good meetings. Otherwise, you're just going places and believing for a spark or some kind of a demonstration, even though those are important. Those things, without moving into the understanding of what God calls you to be in the heavens, is halfway done or even less than that. Does that make sense? So the last one, through knowing him, Philippians 3.10, that I may know, all of these have to do with dunamis in connection with the resurrection, that I may know him and the power of, of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that koinonia being made conformable unto his death. What does that mean? Well, it's great to say we're teaching about this. Maybe we're opening some kind of an understanding and the Spirit will enliven that. But without knowing him, without spending time intimately with him, and that's the essence of gnosko, without really investing yourself in him and being what, drawing yourself so that we can become one with him. Without that, you won't really be able to represent what the throne is wanting. It, you won't be able to really see the demonstration of the dunamis in the way God wants it. And so the objective is not just to have power and to be able to spill out all these things, what they really mean. The essence is knowing and serving him. But through that, then these things come. And, and I, I love that. So if we want to move in the power of the resurrection, we have to really contemplate what is the resurrection? Was it, was it the miracle of Jesus coming out of the tomb itself? That's a pretty good miracle. But those kinds of things had happened before. Most recently in the life of Jesus, Lazarus, who, who came out of a tomb uh, who was in there a bit longer, I guess, and um, so as miraculous as that is, that wasn't the point. <laughs> that wasn't the point. The point was the establishment of what God wanted from the foundation of the world. And, and so the power of that. See, when we go places or when we're praying, when I'm going to be ministering to Brazil, or many of you will be in the near, near future, um, we, we want to say to the people you were called by God from the foundation of the world. Before you were born, he knew you. He knew you. You're here for a brief amount of time. You are here to serve the will of the Father. 
And, and you'll stand before him one day and give an account as to what you did during that time frame in the exact moment that God let you live on this earth. Here's the empowerment you have through it, through Jesus. You are to be at the right hand of God, functioning in faith, ministering with the angels who are called to minister alongside you because you're the heirs of salvation. All of these things that the Scriptures say only really fit perfectly when you align them with what the power of the resurrection is. And so we, we say these things and we see the power of God demonstrated, but the focus is not on the power. The power, the power serves the purpose. And, and so that's what we must know. So on this Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice at the fact that Jesus rose again. And we rejoice in the entirety of the story that we know historically. But I believe God is wanting us to take a further step into what that anastasis really is. You know, and here's the beauty, and I end with this. I'm telling you things you've been doing. I mean, many of you have spent hours upon hours on your face before God knowing that you've been ministering in faith with Jesus at the right hand. Uh, how many other things have we seen God make real in our lives that are told about in the Scripture? I'm grateful for that. And we continue to be faithful in serving God as intercessors and His sons. But now perhaps God is wanting to lead us into a deeper understanding of the power of the resurrection because that's the essence of all things. And from that, then, we, we draw. We, we say, we know we draw from the power of the cross. We know we draw from the power of faith. We know all those things, and we're grateful for it. But if we could really know in a greater degree what is being communicated by this resurrection, that plan in place at the throne, where we say, you know what? What is stasis? The world says it's this. Nothing's happening. But we say through grace that this is going to rise up and be what God wants it to be. And we're going to see the miracle power of God manifested as people know him. I, I don't know. It, it, it's just I knew I ran a risk on an Easter Sunday of talking about something like this. But I didn't really have much of a choice. I'd rather just be telling nice stories. I'd rather talk about Levi growing out of his outfits and talk about bunnies and eggs and things like that. But we, we have limited time. <laughs> the night comes when no man works. This is what God's been talking about. And I just encourage you to study this for yourself. Look at it in the Scripture. Read. I just plucked a few verses. Let, let the Spirit of God take you into a deeper, dare I say, a higher place in Him, and know that there is a greater release of His power in these last days, as Peter said, that is beyond what we've known. And it is because of the resurrection. It is because of Jesus completely fulfilling his mission from the Father. Lord, I, I thank you for your sacrifice, the myriad levels of what you did for us uh, are just beyond our ability to express how much we thank you. And for eternity, we'll still be learning more ways that you sacrificed yourself for us. 
And we thank you for it. We love you. Help us to step forward now into the things that you've reserved for the days that are ahead. As we serve you, let us understand the nuances of your scriptures that the Spirit is guiding us into. And let us recognize this is for us. This is not a theoretical pursuit. This is not a scholastic pursuit, even though we're learning. This is for us to serve you. You're unveiling these now because you've waited till this time frame to do it. As Peter said, in the last days, your mystery is going to be revealed, your greater mystery, and it is involved with the power of the resurrection, our hope in you, and what we do in the heavens while on earth. So, Lord, let us be faithful. Let us represent your sacrifice nobly and faithfully. And I speak blessing over every one of your saints. I speak blessing over every one of these precious sons and daughters. And I ask you, Father, that we would all go forward in you. Let us move in the power of your resurrection for your glory. And we thank you for it, for we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well,